I no, also we're not talking about that. No, nope, don't tell the garbage story. We're not putting that on the podcast. That's not happening. The, Welcome to episode number three of the summer session of the admissions director's lunch cast. I'm Nathan here along with Tej as always. And this episode, episode three, we're actually doing an extended cut that I know Tej is really excited to drop into our feed. Tej, who did we choose for episode three of the summer session? Yes, we have Carmen Lopez of College Horizons. And the the longer interview that that everybody is going to hear um I think it becomes much more evident how much of a fanboy I am for Carmen Lopez. <laughs> uh, we we cut out we cut out a lot of the awkwardness in the uh, initial version, but Carmen is just one of those people I really just look up to and admire. And in this extended interview, our listeners will get just a clear call to action on what we need to do on issues of uh, racial and ethnic diversity in the college admissions process. So I'm really excited to play this for folks. I really did feel it was a shame that we cut out so much of her original interview. So I'm glad that you chose this one for episode number three. So I hope everybody enjoys it. And as always, we'll see you on the other side. Well, Nathan, as we continue this conversation about fly-in programs, I am so thrilled to have Carmen Lopez here with us. Carmen is currently at College Horizons, and we are so fortunate to have her. Carmen, welcome to the LunchCast. Hello, it's great to be with you. Carmen, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you found yourself in your current position? I'm Carmen Lopez, Executive Director of College Horizons which is a national college access organization that services American Indian, Alaska Native, and Native Hawaiian students from across the country. And in addition to doing college access work through what is called our Summer College Horizons program, we've also built two other programs uh, that work with our students. Uh, the second program is called the Scholars Program, which is our uh, college well-being and success uh, program where we work with students in college and to prepare them for graduate studies. And the last program, Graduate Horizons, is our pre-graduate program to help Indigenous students access uh, professional and graduate programs. So we've essentially built out now a program that will work with um, Indigenous students from high school all the way up to the PhD and offering support throughout. So that's, um, that's, that's, the program side of what we do. How I've gotten to College Horizons, um, it's a full circle that I'll give a brief introduction, but I was in my first teaching position after college uh, at the Native American Preparatory School in Roe, New Mexico. It was a brand new, beautiful school that was bringing together um, indigenous ways of knowing and being and uh, Western ways of knowing and being. And it was this great kind of experiment in what could be the new Indian education of the 21st century. 
And that is where I met Dr. Whitney Laughlin, the director and founder of College Horizons. And she was our high school college advisor there. So later on, though, after I finished teaching, I went on to higher ed administration and directed the Harvard Native American program. And that's where I reconnected with Whitney and we hosted College Horizons on Harvard's campus a couple of years. And then um, soon after that, I was ready to head back west uh, to raise my family out uh, closer to Navajo Nation, my homelands. And then that's when Whitney reached out to say, um, I'm, I'm ready to hand this off and would you be interested? And, and that's when I became the director uh, in 2009. Fantastic. And Carmen, for any any of our listeners who don't know, the College Horizons program is just as good as it gets. Uh, you do such fantastic work. So thank you for that. Thank you. So if I can get to the first question, what do you think it means to a student when they are invited to a fly-in program? I, I think... I think it's very exciting when when students receive an invitation. Um, there is a confidence boost, I, I think, to them. Um, but but I've also this is the interesting part as we're looking at fly-in programs. I, I think they've changed quite a lot in in the ten years I've been at College Horizons, and maybe recently too in the last five years. And and I think there's some important. Um, I think distinctions that we need to be thinking about this, particularly when we're using fly-in programs for diversity outreach, and then when we are tying it to um, expectations of potential match academically. So there's these, the, the movement that we've seen is now this pre-screening. On the one hand, I understand we want to be uh, bringing students to a college campus that has the academic merits and uh, is, is a strong candidate to potentially be reviewed. But there was a time when students didn't have to do such pre-application processes. And that'll be my criticism of, of how far we might swing to to be really turning it into this demonstrated interest group, which is I don't think what should be the intention of the fly-in programs. Uh, they used to be a little bit more open and accessible to um, uh, a larger group of students uh, to to explore college campus. Um, but overall, I do think that when a student now has to apply and then does get invited, that there is this excitement, this energy, this boost to their confidence um, that they're going to be able to explore college. And speaking again from you know a, a community-based organization, one working with um, underrepresented students, first-gen, low-income, um, this is pretty huge to be invited and potentially to have that um, trip paid for and and for a student to be able to fly across country we still have students that come to our in-person program that that's their first time getting on an airplane so this can be a big deal to a student and the family so carmen i want to just follow up on that a little bit um when you're talking about this pre-application process can you just give us a little bit more detail are you seeing that primarily 
um, for students that uh, that, are, that are seniors. And so they're kind of, it's, it's right leading up to the application process. Are you seeing that back as far as like a sophomore is invited and they have to you know, go through a little bit of an application to be part oh, of that program. You know what? This is a good point, you guys. If we're talking about it uh, in senior year or like as sophomores or juniors, um, yeah, which one are you talking about? <laughs> well, all of them, I would point. say. No, that's okay. great. I, no, okay. all of the uh, all of the above, Carmen, because yeah. I think, um, again, come at it from the admissions director's perspective. We're trying yeah. to provide these programs. We have limited resources. Um, but I, I just talk a little bit about, if you can talk a little yeah. bit about the variety that you're seeing from these colleges of these programs. Okay, great. So the, the fly-in programs that I've seen our students at College Horizons be invited to are, um, a mixture, some for juniors in their, uh, usually, uh, fall or spring cycle, uh, when they're when they're able to explore a campus and come in, uh, and then the other fly-in programs are usually in the fall for uh, seniors who are uh, starting their applications or in different parts of their applications. So I, I do see the fly-in invitation happening at different points. I also think that um, there is an opportunity uh, that that many of our, our colleges and universities, especially our state flagships, also host these great visitation days, right? These are the junior days where um, kids on buses come to the local state institution uh, to explore and, and have that date. And I think that when we talk about the diversity equity side, because of budgets and oftentimes uh, with limited dollars, um, we, we have to, if we're going to commit ourselves to DEI initiatives, equity requires resources. And if anything, this pandemic has showed us the deep inequities that existed prior to COVID that were already there, especially for underrepresented um, uh, populations and, and families and students um, that cannot access colleges readily. And we have got to do something different in, in once we get out of this pandemic to address it. So there are ways to make visitation programs um, affordable to the hosting institution. Um, and that is also really based on the philosophy of let's share our knowledge. And, and this is not the ROI one. This is the Let's open it up, share our campus, give them this experience to this local community, this regional community, um, and let these young students, and this is, could be eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade programs uh, that you bring into a campus. And then you build your other programs, your fly-in programs that are trying to uh, track that senior applicant or that junior that's exploring. So. I think that there's different times uh, in the students' exploration of college that we as educators can be um, both opening our doors that doesn't cost a lot of money, but that's part of the goodwill of our institutions in, in allowing students to access us, as well as finding the applicants that we're looking for um, that, that we potentially might yield to our campus the following fall. 
I think those are great points. And, and we're talking about fly-in programs here, but really you could call it, we should label this episode bus-in programs. <laughs> you could yeah, say that too, right. right? I mean, we I've had experience at my former institutions where um, we crossed state lines with buses. I mean, it was all private institutions and we would, we would come through two states just to bring students up. And it more was that access point and um, and it didn't cost the institution nearly as much as a right. plane, uh, right, you know, plane ticket, whatever else. Um, so I think it's it's more how do you bring these visit these visit uh, programs uh, together? How do you maximize your resources um, and make sure you're doing some of these things as a service? And um, and then, you know, again, I guess a follow up question I have for you is um, what does it say to you as an executive director of a community based organization? Um, what does it tell you when a college hosts one of these programs, regardless of what the program is, a busing mm -hmm. program, flying program, whatever else? Um, what, what's, a, what's the message that you feel the college is sending to you or to your organization? Yeah. When, when colleges host uh, these programs to bring students in, it, it's, it's very, very important. Um, and this is something that we promote in our organization when our partners um, work with us and we find out what type of fly-in programs they offer. We compile the list to give to the students so that they're aware of it. And then we push that out and remind them. So it's very important when the institutions host this. Um, and again, from the, the vantage point that I come from is because not all of our students are getting this opportunity to to apply, maybe there's not an awareness by by counselors um, or savvy counselors, or maybe counselors at schools only give this opportunity to certain students that they've identified as that college ready. And and we see this skew in the students that that I serve that that sometimes they are not getting the college advising or they don't have the relationships with that college advisor at their school that they don't know their potential. They don't know where they're going. So, so it's really critical when we see the fly-in programs that are being hosted that we help to promote that. And, and again, um, I think from a College Horizons perspective for first-gen um, students, um, for students that are also from rural communities, it's something important to get on an airplane, have that experience of, of the, the family dropping you off at the airport, a little nervous for their child to mm -hmm. send them off somewhere. That is critical. And it's critical at our College Horizons program. We don't want the parents chaperoning kids to my program. I want that, that a little bit of fear and anxiety on both sides to be there so that at the end of the program, that, that student has the confidence of, I figured this out on my own. I, I know how to change flights now. I know how to check in my luggage. I know how to ask for help. Um, I know how to travel safely on my own. And we want the parents to have the confidence that their, their child can do that too. They can travel safely to college and get back home safely. So there's the, what's also significant, I think, in, in our College Horizons program and the partners that host us on their campus that is a key part of exposure. Um, we survey our students in the application and um, only 70, uh, or let me get that backwards. Uh, from the students that we survey in our program, 
only 30% have ever stayed overnight on a college campus. And most of those are actually tied to a sports camp that's not necessarily hosted by the college, but that might be used as a rental. So they're not even getting the full college experience. So coming to a College Horizons where we get to take over a college campus, live in the dorms, um, eat, eat in the dining halls, walk the campus, and imagine ourselves in the space, that is so critical to students that I serve. And so when our colleges create that opportunity um, for students to have that one or first or second opportunity to, to imagine themselves in the space, it's transformative. Um, they need that. And, and, you know, of course, during this, this pandemic, that's the part that's been missing for almost all of the students. But again, pre-pandemic, that was inaccessible to students that I work with. Carmen, so you, you hear from students in a way that, that on the admission side of the desk, we don't get the, the same type of feedback. From what you've heard from students, what is the difference between a good fly-in program and a bad fly-in program? For the the students that talk to us about their their fly-in program, I, I honestly don't hear too much about what, um, what might not have gone well. Um, but I can tell you, though, from listening to them tell us what went well and what was exciting about the, the opportunity um, in order to improve our programming, that I can share with, with confidence. I think that what students really enjoy, of course, is being with other students. Um, the, the overnight stays with the, the mentors on campus so that they can get that student insight from a real college student without us as adults. A lot of times that's the most important part is for uh, us as adults to step out of the way. We create the space uh, to let the students engage and ask the questions that they want to ask um, and give them some of the information. But it's really um, the, the college students that make these trips so important uh, because the students walk away really understanding what is it that's uh, interesting about this university. I think also when students are trying to compare after they've done a couple of fly-in programs, it's really interesting that they are coming down to some of those um, gut reactions and the feelings. So they're already kind of discerning that, okay, this college has these kinds of uh, facilities, this type of access to great professors. So they're realizing, okay, these things are about the same on a college campus. Now I'm coming back to what is it that I felt comfortable on the campus? Who did I see on the campus? Uh, do they reflect someone like me? Can I, um, do I feel like I can fit in here? Uh, do I think that I can make some good friends here? Um, I, I think that those are the things that students walk away with um, after, after getting experience with a couple of, of, of visit programs. So along those same lines, Carmen, I mean, many of these flying programs, and you alluded to it earlier, are designed for DEI initiatives, right? They're designed mm -hmm. to recruit low-income, first-generation students of color. Um, any stories or reactions um, that you've seen from the students when they when they sort of figured that out? Or do this, let me ask a follow-up question to that, maybe a two-parter. How do they feel like if their eyes wide open going into that? How do how do they how do they take that? Um, what's the reaction either going into it or coming back from it? 
Yeah. So I, I think it's really important um, that there are specific programs to increase diversity. Um, you know, this again, the the pandemic and um, the racial and social justice movement that Black Lives uh, Black Lives Matter has helped to usher in and bring and elevate conversations that we were having prior. Now we're we're all looking at it in a in in a new way. And, and with that in mind, it's, it's that we cannot solve racialized issues until we have racialized programs. Now, that, that, what I mean by this is that sometimes we try to create these, these one-size-fits-all solutions to diversity when we have got to break down and look at what is it within diversity equity inclusion that we want to focus in on and prioritize. And then you create the programming that will help with the outcomes. So this is the part that we have to not be afraid to create those programs that address certain racial inequity issues in higher education. I think that prior to the pandemic and this, um, the racial social justice movement that we're in, we have skirted around that. We've used DEI as this broad um, shield and maybe excuse. And now what's been, what's been pulled away, I hope, is the realization to say, if we're really gonna focus on educational equity, we have to understand the role race plays within it. And we have got to create uh, programs and solutions that directly address it. So overall, the reason why the diversity fly-in programs matter is that we have to have specific programming that focuses on students that we want to belong on our campus. You have to create it. Uh, they need to see that they can fit in, that there's other students like them, that there are other administrators and staff and professors on that campus like them that share a story, a common story. And this is the movement that the, that the colleges are trying to get after as well, is to build up um, that cohort of students so that they do feel that they belong. Now, the best types of DEI programs are both built with the specific diversity programming and then programming that fully integrates that student with everybody else that's there. So when you bring these two together so that they don't feel that they are the special students that are only coming in for this, they need to see themselves as any other student on campus. So you've got to, I think higher ed colleges, we have to learn how to balance both. Um, you bring them in because uh, it is addressing inequity that exists on our campus. And then we are also welcoming them into the entire um, community to say, you know, is this the place that you feel you can contribute and do well as a student? So we need to do both and at the same time. I really like that sentiment, and I feel, at least in my experience, and I a follow-up question here. My experience, the financial literacy 
program either for an early like a sophomore or junior or really getting down to working through some budget worksheets or financial aid. It seems like finances mm -hmm. is a little bit of the equalizer here, mm -hmm. um, regardless of race or ethnicity, um, but that you can have that, that's sort of the tide that binds a little bit, especially when it comes to low income first generation students. Um, they all will get in the same room together and feel like, okay, we're all in this together. Um, and then you'll have other low income um, white students or whatever else. Um, that's where it sort of starts. Um, but then if you have, um, you know, I really like what you said about staff members or faculty members that look like them, um, <laughs> either leading these sessions or working directly with them to counsel them individually or whatever else. Seems like finances is usually a good starting point um, that everybody is concerned about because most all families are concerned about finances. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, and I think even even when I think about College Horizons, it's a diverse group of students that we're working with as well. Mm -hmm. We don't have an income threshold, although the, the majority of our students are Pell eligible or twice Pell. Um, but but I am working across, you know, 70 different tribal nations. So culturally, um, you know, gender, um, you know, sexual orientation, uh, cultural uh, as well cultural um, um, uh, cultural ties from those that are, you know, kind of born and raised and steeped in cultural understanding and knowledge to those students that don't know much uh, because of the history of assimilation. And so it, it's all about storytelling. I mean, that's what you're getting at is, is when we begin to ask the, the basic questions about, tell me your story, you know, uh, where, where are you from? How did you grow up? And who, who's your mentor? And, you know, making it so that the, the students can relate with one another and then relate to the, the other adults in the room who will say, you know, I'm a first gen student. When, when you hear that from a professor, uh, you know, that's the other uh, at College Horizons, Tej, you might remember. Um, uh, one of the sessions that we have is for a professor to do a, a lecture to the students. So I, I want the students to, to hear, to see a professor, a real professor, to hear them, look at a syllabus, you know, and then I do this Q&A with the professor afterwards. And, and I ask them the same questions of, you know, um, how did you apply to college? How did you decide where you went? And there are great stories from professors and, and some who said, you know, I'm a first gen student. I came from a single um, single parent home. It was just my mother who, who did this for me. We had one professor tell us about, you know, failing a class in college. I mean, it really, um, it, it really helps uh, students to relate when we kind of can demystify all of these things about the, the college process and then even um, our professors can relate to students when we kind of take off the basic professor hat and say, what was your favorite class in college or what was your least favorite or, you know, it, it's that storytelling that allows, um, I think, allows for a great program where, where students can dig deeper beneath the basics of, of the college and, and really say, this is the place where I feel I belong and that I can do well. So Carmen, we've talked about the importance of these fly-in programs. So now I have to ask some of our audience, 
will be at colleges that are not currently able to do a fly-in program. So if a college is unable to do a fly-in program, are there alternatives that you would recommend them can recommend for them to consider? Yeah, I think again, uh, two, two responses. One from the earlier one is uh, looking, looking locally and regionally for these drive-in programs. Um, who can we bring in for a, a, a day program, um, even if it's not an overnight program, that, that puts the center of the college in the local community? I don't think that that can be understated. And again, whether that is part of the service opportunity to, to local students or regional students, or if it's part of that um, um, outreach uh, for potential applicants or down the road for a yield program, um, look at what you can do within the driving population. I, I would also say because uh, we've learned so much from the pandemic about the virtual programs, um, we, I think that some of there's been some really great programs that have been developed this past year. And again, the ones that stand out is where through video pro, you know, videoing conferencing is where the adults are there to just do the basic facilitation. And then you get out of the way and allow the students, the college students, to interact with the prospective students. Um, it's just, again, they need that opportunity to be able to, to break down a little bit of the shyness and to, to get a better sense of the campuses. And I think that there's just been some really creative TikTok-y type things that, that colleges have been able to do in short bites and snippets uh, because of this um, online fatigue that we're all experiencing. I do think we've also gotten savvier in not doing, you know, um, uh, half a day programs. Uh, some of these programs have to be tightened up because of our attention uh, span. And um, I think colleges and students are doing some really cool stuff with short snippets to be able to say, this is what college looks like in the dining hall, in the dorm, you know, athletics, whatever it is of highlighting it in, in video format, which the students like. But, but ultimately, it's still coming down to the college students uh, in engaging in a meaningful way with, with prospective students. Carmen, that's great. And I'm wondering if there's any um, things, cool things you're hearing about that colleges are doing maybe for admitted students. We've seen a couple things emerge at my institution where a Snapchat group was created on with admitted students on their own or they're doing FaceTimes weekly or, you know, like they, somebody did, I think they did a, Z, a Zoom Netflix movie watching night or something like that. And these students themselves are getting created, creative, which is just so great to see. Anything you've seen that maybe your students have told you about? I so high school students are doing the same thing. They're they're finding ways to get on online, uh, mostly just to kind of be in the background talking to each other. Sometimes they're playing, you know, um, or Among Us. I was going to say imposter Among Us, or they are they're watching a movie together and then just laughing and making comments as if they were together in person. 
And I, I do think that these kind of the, the typical ways that, that teenagers are trying to interact with each other um, from this, this distance is something that they would enjoy doing with college students or with one another as potential um, cohorts. There's, there's another um, company that kind of has these online yearbooks that it's a different platform than the social media because then it's just for that that cohort of student and and it doesn't it just allows for you to have um, uh, an understanding of potentially who's coming to that campus and I think that that's also important is you know at College Horizons that's one of the great things that we get to share out with with among the cohort is who is going where within that cohort so that they can say, oh my gosh, you're admitted here too. Okay, maybe we can plan on flying out together if they're from you know, the same um, tribal community. So, so any way that the students can connect with one another, and I, I really do. I think that there's the formal program that you wanna do as admission celebrating and you know, um, doing things on a big Zoom, um, and I think that you can roll out multiple fun things. So do the thing you want to do as an admission staff that's welcoming the class with your special speeches from your VIPs, but keep it brief and then hand it off to your ambassadors to, to do that interaction. Um, you know, and, and at College Horizons, Tej knows this well, we, we move into small groups and our small groups get so bonded together and we do these cheer chants in competition with each other. I mean, we really, um, we really get bonded between the faculty and the students in a small group. And it's just, a lot of it is the fun socializing of getting, getting together. And they're so hilarious with memes. I mean, I'm sure you could do something fun with admissions, memes, and students. Um, they're so creative. So. Uh, I don't know. I would say hand it off to your college ambassadors. They know what's um, fun for, for students to engage in. Every time. Every time. It always comes back to the students. And and the, they can make or break it. <laughs> your current students can make yeah. or break it one way or the <laughs> other. But it always comes back to that. And, and I think I, I love that you just touched on small groups because – I think that's one of the the biggest silver linings of the pandemic is that admissions directors were so focused and we always have to do these large visit days. We always have to do these mm. big events with the bands and the balloons because that's what we always mm -hmm. did. And nobody was um, nobody was prepared enough or, or brave enough to step away from that because mm. what happens? What if it affected anything apart the cycle? But here you're seeing that really the students are reacting to these small groups. The students are reacting and signing up, at least at my institution, I've heard other places, signing up for one-on-one -on -one Zoom sessions with an admissions counselor, and they'll be on there for 45 minutes to 90 minutes um, yes. just chatting and asking wonderful questions. And I think that's what it's created is these small groups. And while well, I think we'll certainly go back to a situation where maybe we'll have some larger events, um, you know, we're, we're really, we're getting to a tipping point here where we're really doing it the way that a lot of, a lot of us in private, small private colleges have been doing it for a long time, you know, with small right. connections. Um, and I think that just helps the students at the end of the day, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. It's, it's, you know, uh, we're teenagers, the, the, you know, I think one of, I, 
read reports on um, students' uh, reasons for stopping out was in the top three was not making friends mm -hmm. on, on a college campus, meaningful relationships. And, and you know, we have to go back into our, our kind of remember when we were seniors in high school and that was one of the biggest, scariest things was to, to leave the friends and the community you've grown up with and, and, and being a stranger and now having to start, how do you make friends again? We, mm -hmm. we did it so easily. And it's like, how do I make friends as an 18 year old, you know, and, and, and there's still that, I think as adults, we still try to figure mm -hmm. out how to make friends as adults. So, so I do, I, I think it's the meaningful relationships that allow you to feel like you belong. That's, that's the part that we're searching for. Um, uh, when, when we find that college that, that that's a good match for us. Well, Carmen, that brings us to the end of the conversation. Thank you for being here. Is there anything you're working on this spring that you're particularly excited about? Teach, I'm, I'm working on so many things. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, we're, we're um, you know, we're preparing for our, our next summer program that, that we'll be launching remotely. Uh, and and with that, we're we're excited to expand some of the the work that we do to make it more accessible. So, you know, this is always important to me that that the things I recommend to colleges, I'm also talking about as my own institution that we need to do the things that we're asking others to do. And in terms of making College Horizons um, more accessible, we're going to be offering some open enrollment programs um, this summer that's going to sit alongside our, our, our traditional College Horizons program to share what we do in our large groups with a larger audience of Native students across the nation. So I'm really excited to 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 open up our doors more to to students that might not come through our traditional application process um so that's one one major um initiative that we're going to be working on for this this coming summer that sounds really exciting i i'm i will be watching from afar <laughs> all right i'm 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 grateful <laughs> carmen if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you how can they do that Yes, they can visit our website, collegehorizons.org, or they're welcome to email me directly at carmen at collegehorizons.org. Thank you so much, Carmen. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, folks, I hope you really enjoyed that episode of the summer session of the LunchCast. Um, extended cuts are always great, and I hope you gained something that maybe you didn't hear in the first go-around. So, Tiggy, uh, I think we are going to yeah. call it, uh, yeah, you know, we're going to call it a wrap here on this extended episode. And uh, just so everybody knows, we're going to come back in the fall with season two. We're working on it right now. But until then, I'm Nathan. I'm Tiege. And this is the LaunchCast. Thanks, folks.
<laughs> you made me take pictures of someone's garbage. <laughs> nope, not happening. I'm ruining that recording. Nope, and, and you then, can't use it. You can't the use day, it. 